Roll Podcast. Greetings, all you high vibration earth-dwelling humanoids, those in search of truth, virtue, and the better world of our collective imagination. May this invisible wave formation of ones and zeros reach your brain and find you well amidst the tumult of a world that can feel at times out of control. May it bring you comfort, especially to those that are lonely out there and grace to those in need of it. My name is Rich Roll here again in physical parallel, in neurological simpatico and verbal symbiosis with my endearing and sagacious confederate on all things roll on, the honorable and high principled snorkel mask adorning Baron of the literary manor himself, my liege, my Lord, the humble nobleman himself, Mr. Adam Skolnick. <laughs> A lot of pressure on these intros after, after the response last time. So I, I had humbled. to double down. I, I kneel before you, sir. Yes. How may I be of service? No. I am in service to you today, oh. my friend. All right. For those new, roll-on is typically our opportunity to shift focus away from our traditional fare of evergreen conversations to instead hone in on matters of more contemporaneous time-sensitive interest. Today, we do just that, but we're gonna do it with a twist after a little bit of housekeeping and typical opening shenanigans. We're gonna spend the gravamen of this episode grappling with recent events in Afghanistan, less from a political perspective and more from a human rights perspective with a specific focus on the very grave plight faced by the 16 plus million women in Afghanistan in the wake of the United States departure and the grip of Taliban rule. It's a conversation and exploration that is aided, soon to be aided by two special guests today, doctors Aisha and Dean Scherze. You know the Scherzes as the neurology duo, the experts on brain health, Alzheimer's and neurodegenerative disease. Uh, they've twice graced this show in the past, but what you might not know or remember is that they both have considerable experience with Afghanistan, having lived in, and worked there for three years, I believe, beginning back in around 2003, a period in which uh, Dean was actually appointed by President Karzai as the deputy minister of health and Together, uh, they created the most successful post-conflict healthcare system with women's empowerment at its core. Um, lots to come on that. It's proving to be a fascinating conversation. But before Team Scherze joins us, Adam, how goes you? I am grateful. I, I am. Are you ordering I'm food at, at, at Cafe Gratitude? <laughs> no, but I feel- That's what they say they I see. <laughs> You don't just order the menu item. You have to say, I am, and the I foods are grateful, I am honored. compassionate. I am perturbed. Joyous. I would, if I was the manager at Cafe Gratitude, which I applied for that, by the way. You did. I, I didn't get it. That's so why I'm you at, ended up at Ben & Jerry's. So I'm at Cinnabon now. <laughs> okay. Off from Ben & Jerry's? Yeah, Ben & Jerry's, because I, 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 you guys, I didn't work there. I never worked there. <laughs> so I, I, I applied okay. to Gratitude and Cinnabon. But gratitude, I think I would add an I am perturbed mm. item. Yes. Yeah, I don't know what it would be, but it'd be a lot of, there'd be lots of right. garlic and onion. Yeah. <laughs> um, Some like Jewish guilt, exactly. invective put into the menu. A dill pickle. Right. <laughs> um, I am, I'm grateful because, you know, first of all, the scheduling, thank you for allowing mm. me to be here with the Shurzai. Yeah, so we're recording this a week early because you're going to be up swimming Alcatraz. That's it. And, um, 
And also grateful we're dispensing with first world problems here to talk about like some real life and death issues in um, in Afghanistan. So, you know, that makes you, makes me feel grateful. That's one of the reasons I've always been attracted to kind of human rights reporting in general, mm -hmm. because it does give you as someone engaging in that space, like the gravity to see the world in kind of, the way it really is and and to be grateful for what you have. Sure. And so there's kind of that element of it there. Um, except uh, I did have one first world problem to ask you. Mm. What's the vegan way of getting rid of a spider that has taken up residence in your rear view mirror? Well, leave him be. <laughs> let, him, let him live there. Yeah, is he bothering you? Well- Or he, consciously relocate him. <laughs> are we sure it's him? Maybe not her, yeah. him, her. I don't know. So no water in there just to like, cause every morning there's this huge, like messy web. It's not like Will, it's not like Charlotte. I'm not getting like a message in the morning. It's this mass of <laughs> like stringy web that I then I knock down and then every morning it's there again. And today on the drive here, it blew out cause of on the freeway, but it'll be there. Well, the you're dealing with the symptom and not the cause. Like if you're just destroying the web, but not finding the spider and appropriately relocating him to a habitable environment. Mm. I don't know. All right. Well, let's do a pot you know on that one time. Already. Yeah, that, that deserves a full hour. We need a full hour on this. <laughs> no. I once had rats living in the, under the hood of my car. So something about my car is like, um, is a uh, ecosystem. Mm. Yes, the yeah. Subaru ecosystem. All right, well, keep us posted. Next Thank week, you. there'll be an update, I'm sure. How are you, man? I'm good. I've been back in the pool. I'm, yes. feeling, I'm feeling grateful myself to be wet again after mm. quite a respite. So that's been really nice. And it's actually helping my sleep and I'm seeing the gains pretty quickly. So I'm happy about that. I'm rocking new glasses. Great think? looking and glasses. Yeah, Roka sent me, they have a fall line. They sent me like three pairs of glasses with my prescription in them. So I'll rotate those through, but. Got a haircut? To get a little bit of a haircut. Looks good. Yeah, everything's good. I love seeing the swim flop. I think I speak for everyone out there. When it, when the flop comes down, then you throw what you've been doing I out there. I dropped the kickboard with all my gear on the deck. Yeah. It makes a loud thap. Yes. On Instagram stories, every time I do a swim, people and, seem to enjoy that and the for swims some reason. Are impressive, man. You're doing well, 5K in like an hour listen, 10. It's a, that is, <laughs> that's all relative, trust me, you know. I have a long way to go to get back to form, but I'm excited to be back in it. And yeah, people love the flap. And then they, I love it when people tag me, they do their own version of that. And then I, I, I always reply with a grade. Oh, exactly. Because there's a very specific way to do it correctly. <laughs> okay. Most people fall short of that. So do your swap, tag me. I'll grade it. I'm starting. You know I'm going to start about it. thwapping at the beach. Yeah, well, that would require you going to a swimming pool and not the ocean. Can't I thwap on the uh, sand? It's not the same. There's it's no not thwap. The same thing. It's just. A, I'm going to. I have to take you to the pool, and uh, I have to evaluate your technique. It's not going to be my pretty. spidey sense from the spider in your rearview mirror <laughs> is telling me that maybe you need a tutorial. I definitely do. Yeah. Um, and, but you said you were gonna swear off cycling and you did this massive ride yesterday too. I didn't say I was, no, I said I need to take a break from running and I need to be judicious about my cycling. Okay. So I've dialed the cycling back, but I'm gonna ride like one or two times a week and really focus on the swimming. Seems like that That's was a monster right too. Now. So it's actually 
already and I'm doing some strength training. So I'm really dedicated to like resolving this back issue. That's awesome. my commitment right now. Right on. I do wanna report back on something that was a bit controversial last time we spoke, which is the appropriate definition of quote unquote bi-weekly. Mm. We had a bit of a kerfuffle last time <laughs> around what that actually means. Uh, some confusion. I'm proud to announce that my instinct was correct, Adam. It per Merriam-Webster, bi-weekly as, is defined as something that occurs every two weeks or twice per week. That's confusing, How Miriam. is that possible? <laughs> because even Merriam doesn't know what it means. Right, yeah. it means both or either? <laughs> yes. This is sowing mass confusion. I blame Gen Z. Similarly, no, this is, it's always been the case. Similarly, oh. bi-monthly is defined as something that occurs every other month or every, or twice, or like, no, every other month or twice a month. This is not so good. So if you say we're gonna meet bi-monthly or we're gonna meet bi-weekly. Right. So then- How if, are you supposed to know that's right. like, what that means? If you, if you like join a new organization and say, and then the organization says, okay, great to be here. We're gonna be here bi-weekly. And then you don't come for two weeks and they've been, <laughs> you've missed three meetings or at least two meetings. That's not good. No. You're on the outs, buddy. So. With this, henceforth, I despair over the pitfalls of the English language. I mean, come on, words, term, they have one job. One job. And this means two different things. I don't know what to tell you. Let's create a new word for it. What's that? For every other week. <laughs> you blanked <laughs> Too out. Too much pressure. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Sorry. This concludes that section. I'll come up with one by the end of the um, episode. One thing I wanna mention uh, real quick here to shift gears a little bit. Mm. Uh, many of you know and love Josh Lajani. He's been on the podcast a number of times. His story of dropping 250 pounds, I believe, to become an ultra runner living down in Southern Louisiana. It's, it's a legendary tale. He's a beautiful human being. Um, he's an audience favorite. And, he's one and, of my favorites. Yeah, he's an incredible guy, yeah, yeah. beautiful, lovely guy. Yeah. And right now he, he really needs our help. Josh, his family, his community has been utterly devastated by Hurricane Ida. Um, and as some of you may remember, Josh owns and runs a trailer park. This is his vocation. And at least 20 families homes were destroyed by the recent storm. And he's been going out of pocket, doing daily runs for gas, water, ice, food for his tenants, um, spending all kinds of cash on tarps that will serve as temporary roofs until repairs can begin. He's quite overwhelmed. And I just wanted to alert everybody to this fact. Uh, our mutual friend, Howard Jacobson, who was also an early guest on the podcast made a video. I'll link that up in the show notes. And in that video, he speaks to Josh and includes links in a QR code for people to donate. Um, and I should say, it's not a registered charity. There's no tax deductions here. It's just basically an opportunity to send a little bit of extra cash to Josh via Venmo or, or Cash App to help uh, him out, his family out and his community out. At the same time, Howard um, and I have been going back and forth. He's working on possibly putting together a webinar with plant-based athletes that would be free to the public, but would invite people to send money to Josh for him to orchestrate survival and rebuilding efforts for his community. I don't have any details on that yet, but as that 
sort of comes into fruition, I'll be sure to let you know. As I mentioned at the outset, we're recording this on September 6th and this podcast doesn't go up until the 16th. So in the interim, perhaps this will come together and I'll share that out on social media. Heavy and uh, yeah. thoughts with you, Josh. Right. And I think that's it. Should we take a break and pivot? Let's do Anything it. Anything else you wanna say? How are you uh, feeling about Alcatraz? I feel great about Alcatraz. Uh, did a good swim. Uh, our friend Neil Strauss joined with sure. with uh, Kyle Tierman, who's a friend of oh, mine. I know Kyle, he's been on the Kyle? podcast also. Okay, perfect. So Kyle, he, the the veteran of Mavericks, big, big wave waves, surfer. Uh, big wave surfer, podcaster. Now he's uh, works at Mudwater. He's a writer and editor there. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, so he was out. Another friend of theirs, Chris, came. My buddy John Moore, who you've met. Uh, who swims, my swim buddy, mm-hmm. who I'm gonna do Alcatraz with, uh, was there and we all got in the water. It was fun. It's cool. at Will Rogers, no sharks reported. Reported, that's reported. the key word. No yeah. sharks reported. Did you have the Malibu artist in tow though? He was to there. To verify that? He was there. Oh, okay. I, um, uh, but I felt good the first, uh, it was one of those funny things. Like, I don't know if you've ever had this, but like, my my watch, I have the uh, Garmin Descent, which has a free dive application. And for the first, you know, 1,300 yards, it's working perfectly. And I was in a good pace for me. And then on my swim back, I'm waiting around for, for John and some others and I couldn't find them. So I start swimming back and then it just stays like in that same yardage mm. for like 30 more minutes. And it didn't until I was getting out after the whole swim start ticking over and which is, it's only funny that like, I never cared about how many yards I was swimming or the time, it never was even part of my life. But as soon as you have that watch on and you're starting to to measure your workouts, it's so annoying to not get it. Well, first of all, why do you have it on the free diving setting when you should be Uh, on the open water setting? It's on the open water setting. All right. It's setting, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, these things are not perfect. Tech doesn't work. (laughs) Tech doesn't work. All right, well, we're gonna pivot to things that do work or hopefully things that can be fixed. So we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back with Aisha and Dean Shurzai. We all get it. Sometimes the news can really wear you down. That's why Wildcard, a new podcast from NPR, feels like a solution. It's an interview show that gives a special deck of cards to a whole bunch of fascinating guests all in the hopes of sorting out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, all party game. Wildcard comes out every Thursday from NPR. Listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor fit, built to move, 
and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in Fleetfoot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by Brain FM. You know that thing when you have a bunch of intense work that you just have to do, but the mind doesn't really want to do it? You're telling it, come on, focus, but it keeps getting distracted or agitated by nonsense, and you go through this painful sort of mini war to rein it in, to settle it down, and just concentrate on the thing. Wouldn't it be great if there was something that would ease or eliminate this process? I don't know, like something you put in your brain through your ears? That would be great. And the good news is that it does exist. It's called Brain.fm, which is this sonic platform that leverages science to create tunes specifically crafted to optimize brain performance for a specific task. Tunes that contain patterns that shift your brain state with something even more effective than binaural beats called neural entrainment so that you can more easily focus on that thing or lure you into the sleep that persistently eludes you. Personally, I notice it the most when I sit down to write. Typically, this experience floods me with anxiety and a near lethal dose of the big R resistance that Stephen Pressfield talks about. But now I pop on the headphones, I dial up brain.fm, click the focus feature, and the process becomes, I mean, look, writing is still hard, but now it really is so much easier to get into that state of flow and stay there. So if you're ready to unlock your focus and productivity, I've got a special offer just for you. I asked them to give my listeners 30 days free and you can get it at brain.fm slash richroll. I bet you'll love it just as much as I do. And we're back. We're joined by... Doctors Aisha and Dean Scherze, along with Mr. Adam Skolnick. Good to see you guys again. Thank you for doing this today. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, I wish it was under better circumstances, but I feel like the conversation we're about to have is an important one um, to help us all better understand what's happening in Afghanistan, how we got there, and perhaps some solutions for uh, all of us to avail ourselves to uh, participate in ameliorating the hardship that's going on there. But before we even get into any of that, I think it would be instructive for for each of you to kind of recap your relationship with Afghanistan and your experience there. Sure. Uh, so I am, um, I was actually born there. Um, my parents and my grandparents um, are from Afghanistan, were from Afghanistan. And um, when I was a medical student, I had an opportunity to go back and help out. I think all of us um, grew up with this idea to give back to the community. That was something that was instilled in us by our grandparents and our parents. And um, back in 2002, um, I went back there to help out. I was with Doctors Without Borders mm -hmm. and with some other phenomenal in individuals. This was the post-Taliban era. 
And I was very passionate about helping women and children, as was everybody else. Um, and it was one of the most beautiful times of my life because there was a rebirth of hope mm -hmm. um, where after a very prolonged period of darkness and hopelessness, um, suddenly an opportunity became available for men and women, but especially for women to find freedom, to find their voice, to educate themselves, to interact with each other, and to be really accepted as human beings in a society which shrouded them, which you know just deleted them from the face of this earth. And so <clears throat> to have been in that environment where you saw this growth, this hope, and the continuation of that hope over many, many years, and now to see this devastating effect of taking away that hope from them overnight is just catastrophic. Mm -hmm. So even though Dean and I are in the field of neurology and brain health, and we talk about everything brain health, I think it's very, very important for us to talk about something that is powerful, that not just is a calamity that has affected a particular population. I think it affects all of us as human beings mm -hmm. because it's an overnight extinction of 16 million plus human beings on this earth. Yeah. These women who were given hope and it's worse than that, taking away that home for, uh, hope from them. Yeah. Dean, I wanna hear um, your experience as well, but, but Aisha, this was, so when you returned to Afghanistan, it was around 2003. Yes, So 2002. we're talking post 9-11, it was that era of optimism and a sense of possibility where rights were being restored and everything seemed to be kind of moving in, in an upward positive trajectory, yes. at least with respect to human rights. Yes, yeah. absolutely. You know, when, um, when people watch the news or watch clips from Afghanistan, um, and how the West and the United States went there to help rebuild the country and provide security, um, they don't realize that the biggest asset was providing opportunities for women, mm -hmm. um, for this population that never had that opportunity and for them to become very successful models of progress in a society. I mean, just imagine half of the society not being involved in making decisions for the country. Suddenly all of them came into forefront and it was this beautiful um, regeneration of a culture and a society where music was brought back, you know, where art came back. And, and when you provide that, that security, creativity is born. Mm -hmm. And so we saw the manifestation of that security. Um, and the very thing that makes me so sad is that it's just not there anymore. Yeah. Can I ask, so sure. just to set the context for listeners who might not know, when the Taliban came in in the mid to late nineties and ruled there, they music was Ill, like, you couldn't play recorded music, phot photographs were outlawed, um, certain books were outlawed film entertainment that was outlawed like by punishment of death, right? <laughs> right. Correct? right, like recording tape would be hung from the trees as right. a warning. Yeah. yeah. So then you're saying this openness brings it all back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It, it, um, it's difficult to perceive that limited way of life where, um, you know, anything that almost brings pleasure is completely negated. Mm. Um, and so, 
in the absence of that freedom, it's not just, you know, helping a particular set of population uh, live a normal life. You're basically killing progress in many ways. And, you know, Dean and I actually saw this this metamorphosis that was happening early in the early 2000s mm-hmm. um, when we were working there together. We actually met there right. during that time and we got married right. there. We yeah. dated there. Mm-hmm. It was one of the most amazing experiences. Uh, you were talking about the, 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 what, what was during the Taliban in the 90s and what happened. I was there right after the 9-11, end of 2001. I was at NIH doing these wonky research in Building 10 where you put probes into the basal ganglia and all this stuff. And because of my background in management, they asked me to come go back to Afghanistan to see if, for three months if you can help out. And I went back. It was supposed to be three months. I'm not going to give up that career. And... The first day I go there, and by the way, at the time I'm living on a, on a lake in Reston, Virginia, you know, mm. and I, I land into the airport. This is at the beginning. There's no light. There are no lights. There's no electricity. People are just, you know, walking around almost like a zombie-esque thing, no color. Um, the first thing I do is drive through the city and there's no building standing in this one street. That's famous street, third street. And no building. And you see these little heads popping up and you look around like, oh my gosh, why are they, uh, shouldn't they be told not to play there? Oh no, that's where they live, mm-hmm. you know? So I, 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 I was, it was, the emotional, the visceral nature was just so great. Three months turned into three years where the president asked me to stay and re- rebuild the healthcare system. But what I saw was, and this is critical because I think this is important for all of us as human beings. I think what the most important part of this conversation that you're bringing and similar kind of conversation is for people to experience the breadth of human expression that it is that person named, you know, Malia, Malala or something, is actually my sister, Mm -hmm. my daughter, my mother. It's the same. They're the same people. Now, in 2002, I went to the restaurants, there was no taste. Food had no taste, no color. Buildings had no color, nothing. People would wear just gray because those are luxuries. But as soon as freedom came, nominal as it was, within two months, you saw color, sound, music, taste, smell, good smell, you know, everything just manifest. That was such an incredible mental state for me to see, oh, wow. You talk about, you let, you know, piece of land, give it some water, vegetation grows. You leave a piece of land, opportunity for human mind and everything grows. Mm -hmm. So I I say that uh, life is about management of expectations. And the worst thing we could have done, and this is going to be controversial, is to create expectation in women. Because what we made in these 20 years was the most important thing as human beings that we can create, which is, opportunity for hope, opportunity for the brain to manifest its full potential. And we saw that incredibly, and Aisha saw that in women that she dealt with. Right. I mean, I go in and I thought that I'm talented. All, when you bring hungry people and give them opportunity, they would blow me away as far as their talent. They would learn like multiple languages. One person actually got two degrees within two years. Hmm. Mm. The women were learning. I mean, you can speak to that. Oh my gosh, yeah. The, the, the level of motivation, that hunger for growth, for knowledge, for, for art, 
I've never seen that in, in, in my life anywhere. And I think it's because of that contrast where there was nothing and then suddenly they were given opportunity that they could do anything they wanted. And they all chose to be something significant, mm. not just in their own lives, because they realized that in a country where you usually have a group of survivors. I mean, Af Afghans are mostly survivors. They've seen governments come and go. They've seen, you know, countries come and go. Empires. Empires mm -hmm. come yeah. and go. And so they have this sense of self-worth and self-preservation. But this new generation of women knew that it has to be beyond that. It can't just be about the self. It has to be recreation of stable grounds on which they, their children, and the next generation can live. So over the past 20 years, what we've seen is these incredible women create the infrastructure for themselves and for the next generation to grow and to be someone significant and to have a voice mm. and to propel that voice to the, to, yeah. to the world. Which makes the removal of that hope and all of those opportunities all the more tragic, of course. Devastating. And I think, you know, we can debate the pros and cons of, of the US withdrawal um, and this sense of, you know, the occupation over the last 20 years being kind of an unmitigated boondoggle and political disaster, et cetera. Uh, certainly, we can agree that the withdrawal was was you know, bungled on a colossal scale. Um, but help us understand the human rights implications of of where we are now. Well, it was a. I think it was just one of the most poorly planned uh, steps ever. Um, and, you know, we could go into the details of that, but I think it, in many ways, it's a disrespect to everyone who's worked there. Um, it's a disrespect for all the troops who actually lost their lives there. Um, I look at it from a very sexist way. I think it was a very misogynistic step. I mean, yes, there's been a lot of focus on translators and allies who help the troops um, do their job and protect them. But did anybody think about what was going to happen to the women? Did anybody ever consider the girls in Afghanistan? That conversation never comes up. Did they never see that if Taliban come back, that they're basically going to ask them to not exist anymore? That's exactly mm -hmm. what's happening. Nobody ever thought about women. Yeah, what's they were interesting, never a part of the plan. Yeah, what's, it, it, it really it really wasn't. And what's interesting about this in the context of the advisability of U.S. withdrawing or not is you know the downstream implications of, of of that withdrawal and this idea you know that that the occupation was a bad idea to begin with and it was a loser and it, it was never gonna you know we were never gonna nation build to the extent that we aspired to um, and yet. There were victories along the way mm -hmm. and the hope and the opportunities that were created for these women. And a big part of your message is like recognizing that some good was done, which begs the question of whether or not some form of, of sustained occupation could have you know, been advisable in this situation to maintain some level of stability for this type of opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I would say that I agree with you. That in, uh, protracted 
military existence in Afghanistan was not a tenable thing. I'm not, not at the numbers mm-hmm. that, that people you know, spoke about. The small numbers maybe, and we have how many, uh, we're in a, over a hundred countries right now, just, you know, just mm-hmm. maintaining and we were doing well. How long have we been in South Korea? Oh my gosh, yeah, 50 years or more, right. exactly. So, uh, the, but the, the, I, the reason Aisha brings up the misogynistic and sexist terms is because insouciance has a connotation. Why would you be indifferent or unaware or willfully unaware of what has been done in Afghanistan, which is not a small matter. Forget about nation building. You don't go to nations to build buildings. You go to nations to build human opportunities, if, you, if that's even an option. But even if it's not, if it's a byproduct, you acknowledge it. Why is it that building of 16 million women to the degree where each of them were incredibly talented is not even being acknowledged as a victory? If nothing else, we did mm-hmm. a good job. Yeah. The, the, the willful insouciance, the willful ignoring of that fact says something about us ignoring it. And then the fact that leaving that vacuum in place, forget about vacuum, it's gonna be shrouded literally. With, you know, we talk about Taliban making women wear the burqas, which covers completely. Well, it's literally and figuratively that across 16 million people where that's the death of 16 million people. Why is that not being talked about? I don't want to make this a political thing with sexist male, but you have to kind of go to that core. Why isn't that being addressed? And that's an important question to ask because it, 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 that question comes to us here in the United States. That question will come to us in Europe. That question will come to us everywhere in the world. If we don't acknowledge the value in the language we use, we will live the consequences in the policies we live. Mm. The uh, It's funny because when you sent your message to Rich, that email, and then he shared it with me when you guys were getting in t- contact about coming back on to discuss these issues, the idea of reframing the 20 years as a triumph when everyone was talking about, I think personally, I think because of the swiftness with which the Taliban took over, that dialogue of failure has been the main the main sure. talking point. I think that has something to do with that. Mm-hmm. But um, the idea of reframing it as one of the best things America, the United States taxpayers have ever done is very interesting. It's definitely something I haven't heard anywhere else but besides that email and now what you're saying today. And I think that's a really powerful point that, there was some cost of doing business element. There was a corruption element. Some money went away that shouldn't have gone, but maybe that is the cost of doing business of, of reclaiming lives that had been erased. And, and maybe it is the world's responsibility considering Afghanistan is this, this country that since the Silk Road has dealt with, is like has been part of globalization since then, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's been, it's hung in the balance between whether it's the Soviets in the US in the 70s or the British when they were kind of in Burma and they were in India and here's Afghanistan and trying to mm-hmm. trying to figure it out. And even well before that, Alexander the Great and the Persian empires, um, you know, Afghanistan has been this one place that has been at the core of so much foreign policy in, for centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if you could speak to that given, you, you know, your, your knowledge of the history there and, you know, take us from that to, to where we are now historically and, and why Afghanistan has been so vital. Um, uh, I'm, we're, we're not much of nationalists, so it's, uh, the borders are not as important as the people. But in this case, the borders, although, although they have moved, it's a unique little real estate. I wouldn't want to own land in that real estate <laughs> where your neighbors are Russia, China, Pakistan, 
Iran, and a little further out, India. That's a bad neighborhood and you're landlocked. Mm. And not only are you landlocked, the airplanes where they fly out of Kabul, they have to use special flight maneuvers because it's a bowl with mm -hmm. tall mountains. Right. And everywhere it's like that. So it's just mountainous, um, uh, land, beautiful though, absolutely gorgeous. I, I remember the first time I went there in 2002, they took me in a Russian uh, helicopter. And by the way, ne I never want to do that again because it was old, the, you saw the wires coming out and said, oh, don't worry, it's gonna be face safe. <laughs> Not many people have died from yeah. this flight. And we fly over the mountains, right? Just barely, this is Hindu Kush mountains, which are the, some of the tallest, I think the second tallest in, in the world. And then we get to this place called Badakhshan, which is green valleys, little riverettes running and people are running around. And, and I'm like, I'm not even that, I'm like crying like baby, like this beauty. Mm. So it's an incredible land as far as it's extremes, as far as, and the people are a group of different kinds of peoples from Genghis Khan's, uh, conquests yep. uh, to Alexander's conquests. You see remnants of those features in Afghanistan as well, as well as uh, some other others as well. So it's a unique population that has been forged in the crucible of the most difficult space in the planet. And that's because of the China, Russia, India. Is that the reason? The and, Pakistan. Yeah. and Pakistan. Pakistan. Yeah. And on top of that, the environment itself, the mountainous environment, like for example, the Panjshir Valley just fell, which is this little space that had not fallen to the Taliban. And the reason for that is because external forces, again, the Russians bombed that place, carpet bombed that place nine times over, still didn't, they couldn't conquer it. They couldn't conquer the place. Um, so it's the, the, the geography is just crazy. When you go right. there, it's, it's just absolutely, right. for nine miles, it takes you four hours because you have to go these incredible right. traverse. So it's a, the environment, the landscape, the neighbors has created these people that are survivors, mm. caring, loving people that, that are, that, that are unique to the, to the region. But at the same time, it's constant war. Mm -hmm. constant calamity. I said, please, I'm, I'm just again, gonna be politically, I'm known for this, you know, sell the land, buy some place, space in Florida, you know, uh, <laughs> be, because it's a tough, tough neighborhood. Yeah. It's a tough neighborhood. Yeah. But the, because of that, then the women up to now, even under Taliban, yeah, they shroud them. They're tough women. Mm. They are really mm. resilient people. Yeah. I think the, the withdrawal, the timing of the withdrawal speaks to the the kind of uptick that we're seeing in, in neo-isolationism across the world. So it's not that surprising that it occurred now, but I think the manner in which we conducted it and the mistakes that were made and the, you know, the kind of implications that we're now living with really underscores the decline of the United States as, as a responsible superpower in so many ways. I mean, how can any, allies trust us again how can you know our friends across the world you know believe us when we say we're coming here to do x y and z when we pull out and create the kind of chaos and havoc that we're now seeing and you know from a boots on the ground perspective i want to know um, a little bit more about your experience working there with women specifically in these initiatives that you created and kind of the legacy of those today and what's going to happen. Um, I, I actually want to highlight what Adam was um, referring to earlier. And this is exactly what we saw when we went back is um, 
you know, a lot of our friends here in the United States and around the world always refer to, um, you know, U.S.'s existence in Afghanistan as a big failure. But the the positivity and the success that was created during these last 20 years was probably, it's it's something that we all need to talk about and highlight. And I think it's something that we all need to be very proud of. Mm. Um, you have a generation of women scientists, doctors, lawyers, engineers, businesswomen, politicians, um, you know, uh, we even have the robotics team, just incredible human resource, this, this talent that was allowed to flourish. And these people not only represented just Afghanistan, but they represented the best part of who we are as a human race. And working with women in, in Afghanistan and, you know, seeing them take advantage of the security was incredible. And, you know, you always compare yourself. I always compared myself to some of the women who, who would work there. And with the this, this speed of acclimating to change and the speed or the hunger that they had of getting themselves trained in a particular field is something I've never seen mm. ever in my life. And it really shifted the narrative in the society. And I think one of the reasons why we saw this massive growth where women became leaders and you saw change in the society was because of the presence of U.S. and the West there that allowed them to to flourish mm-hmm. and thrive. And Dean and I were um, involved in creating, you know, health empowerment programs. And, you know, Dean actually did an amazing job in the Ministry of Health where he created the most successful health empowerment program without ever challenging the traditions and the cultural norms and the impediments that were there. Yeah, I, I, I call it uh, social jujitsu. I'm I'm terrible with jujitsu to be, but so maybe you're good so, at social jujitsu, social <laughs> which is you don't confront long-standing traditions and 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 edicts, right? It's impossible to challenge. So you you create a pathway that for the for the behavior to come forward, and and human behavior will find its path of least resistance. It will. So one of the projects, and by the way, I've said this in the past, and I'm going to retract that, which is I created that. I did not create that. I led that. Or I let it from behind because these people did it themselves. I want to make That's sure that true. we don't, uh, this leadership thing is overstated. Uh, the environment was created. I kind of created the idea, but you should see what happened. So one of the projects was where we said, we're going to go to these places which were Taliban infested. And we, they still need healthcare because at the time in 2002, uh, uh, average age was 48. Uh, one out of four children were dying before the age of five one out of six women were dying during their pregnancy life. Mm. Given that the average per woman had seven pregnancies, you do the math. Wow. I mean, that, that, and they didn't just die. It's the worst death you can imagine because they start bleeding. There's no hospital within four horseback rides. They, so they're going to die of severe bleeding and pain getting to the hospital by the thousands. So that was my challenge coming from NIH, the richest research institute in the world, where for a project for tapping, we spent like $6 million. Where here, you didn't have penicillin. So we, what we did was we knew that the lowest denominator of healthcare, which would save 90% was ORS, which is oral rehydration fluid, water, salt, and sugar. Mm. Because the children that died, died from diarrhea, dysentery. Right. And you can't give medicine for that. You just mm. make sure that the water is retained. 
So that's so so because like a of no clean Gatorade. water, no clean yeah. water. Yeah. It's like a yeah. homemade Gatorade. Right. A homemade Gatorade. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's 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 about it's about water sources, and that creates the dysentery that you mm-hmm. can't exactly. recover from right. if you're exactly under five. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Women died. Oh, and the other ones upper respiratory. One antibiotic, ampicillin, would save significant amount of people. And then um, women knowing that when they're bleeding, this is spotting as opposed to serious bleeding. So start now, and that saves thousands. So who do you need for that? Do you need doctors? No. It's useless in Afghanistan. Do you need hospitals? No. Although all the people who had money wanted to build hospitals. Why? You could show it on TV. It's all about visibility. Visibility. Mm-hmm. No, I said, spend it on these young girls, sixth grade educated young ladies who would learn the basics. Mm. Um, so we went to the regions, Taliban leaders, and we say, we want to bring healthcare. We said, no, no, we don't need it. We don't need your doctors. No, 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 your own, your own girls. And they would only see women and children. They said, really? Is, uh, okay, okay, sure. But I knew what was gonna happen. We made sure for most part, the clinics were made in a conspicuous place so everybody could see because we knew what happens in three months. Guess who gets sick? The man, mm-hmm. the big man. And he would go to this young girl in a prostrate position saying, can you help me? You just flip the dynamics. Mm. That woman was now empowered. That woman became a doctor, not really, but, but by, by concept. And there were, and a lot of those women ended up in the parliament. A lot of those women went, ended up in positions of power. So you're training medics. But how do you do that? Less than medics. You're giving them like basically EMT training. Right. Less than EMT. On the the kind of jujitsu tip, like how do you, how do you accomplish that in a Taliban controlled area? Because any female empowerment is, is a visible threat to the power hierarchy. Education is a threat. But healthcare for the women themselves, their wives and their daughters and ch- children is not. For them to, to, to serve each other. Correct, right. correct. So it was just, oh, the women can go play around and, and take care of each mm-hmm. other. Well, we knew healthcare is healthcare. You know, it's gonna, so it, we actually wrote a paper published in a peer reviewed journal, how to empower women in third world countries. Uh, the title was recalcitrant countries, but they changed it. So third world countries. So, and nonetheless, that's, then, but but that wasn't us. So healthcare just being the vehicle for it's empowerment. Vehicle. Empowerment, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's a non-threatening. Education is threatening. Ampicillin is not. You're just giving so but the the bigger picture here was that these women took that position and took it to the nth power mm-hmm. because they became leaders, they became outspoken leaders, they 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 did more than just healthcare. And you just created the environment. And if that's not success. If that's not success. So either we consider success that how much wealth we draw from a country or how much wealth, human value, human capital we leave behind. The human capital per capita, if that's a quantifiable thing, was exponential Mm -hmm. in Afghanistan from what the base was to what we left it. And it's gonna be exponential the other way around now. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is gonna be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fair Trade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic fair trade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with 
none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive, and the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. Are you in touch with any of these women that you helped empower and what are they telling you now? Yes, we are. Um, we've uh, been in touch with um, a lot of our um, previous colleagues and um, in the, in this whole chaos, we've been in touch with, you know, good people who are trying to evacuate a lot of them. Um, and uh, there's nothing but sadness, just profound sadness. Um, and like uh, like we said earlier, it's this lack of hope 
and seeing the opportunity of existing fleeing from them. That is just devastating. A lot of women are saying that if they ever go back to being at home and not being able to go back to work or school, which is exactly what's happening, mm-hmm. the Taliban are telling them that they can't work anymore, that they can't, they can go to school. They can't even go out to the grocery store without a man, a man from their own family. Um, they accept death. They said that we would rather die than be in this situation. A lot of them are rebelling. Um, They're saying that, you know, we're not the same women that we were. Now we live in the 21st century. We're highly educated. We're capable. And you can't bring this on us. Um, So in, in the chaos of fleeing from the country and the devastation that the women are already seeing, those who are left behind, um, there's... Honestly, there's really no hope right now. Mm. Of course, Taliban leadership is, you know, getting behind microphones and talking about amnesty and respecting human rights and women women's rights, but all of this is couched through Sharia law, of course. So, you know, when you you know run it through that equation, uh, nothing good is going to come of this. Not nothing. at all. Not at all. In the '90s, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but when the Taliban came to power. Because right now they're saying once security gets better, then you can leave the house. But we recommend for right now, don't. I mean, people are, women still are leaving the house from what I understand in Kabul at least. But they're saying uh, we recommend you to stay home. And apparently that's what happened in the 90s. Like they never gave a a strict order. They just said, you know, right now security is not good. So you have to stay at home. And then it gradually got vigilante enforced kind of thing in the nineties. And that's kind of the the concern now that that, it's the same language actually, it's not any different. Mm -hmm. It sounds to us, we want to feel, oh, look, they're saying the right things. But in reality, that's exactly what they said in the nineties. Is that correct? Absolutely. Exactly. Uh, There's a a, uh, creep phenomenon, a, a social creep phenomenon where initially, they, although this is Taliban 2.0, much better performed, much better practiced, better language. But already uh, yesterday they killed a journalist. Um, uh, already there was a women's demonstration and they they squashed it massively. Um, women's uh, they were bleeding on the street and so on and so forth. And 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 the other thing is, I mean, you go back to the nature of the thing, not to get philosophical, like you know the, the thing in itself, but the nature of the thing is around women. I mean, if you think about the laws that they're talking about, majority of it is women feared women-centered. I mean, it's kind of funny, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That, that an entire system is based on how do we shroud women? Like they think women are so powerful and it's the sexuality, right? Mm. That it, that the entire, pro, so women can't go to school or pass the sixth grade. Now they say pass sixth grade, but the reality is it's gonna be retracted further. They can't be in public. And if they are in public, they have to be completely shrouded. And And, so what kind of a system is this? What is What benefit is it that you're actually hiding a proportion of population? That nature and the core of that nature, which is fear of that thing that that disturbs you. And then human beings, what is, you know, we talked about frail human nature, male's ne- uh, ego, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, uh, all of us have some of that. Yeah. You know? uh, it's so frail there that the, that nature can't change. It will go, it will collapse back to that fear. It's so interesting and ironic because you have this uh, kind of Taliban archetype, which is very alpha male, but obviously 
so fragile that they can't possibly see an unshrouded woman and, and be held to account for their behavior. So either the male ego is that fragile or these women are so all powerful that they must be, they must be hidden from us Neutralized. because we can't be, you know, we can't be expected to control ourselves. It's, mm -hmm. Well, we know what yeah. the answer is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're writing a behavior book. Uh, the core of human behavior is the sympathetic autonomic system, fight or flight. I mean, if you take out the frontal lobe, if you take out the, to the basic limbic system, it's that fight or flight, the anxiety component of it that, that raises the heartbeat. And that component then manifests in anything that, that quickly and rapidly controls it. Now, complexity is what humanity needs. Complexity is tough. Oh, I have this feeling, but then, you know, all the different variables. We, all of it comes back to slipping back to the basic human nature, which is this is making me nervous, although we call it different things. It must be bad. Therefore, it must be eliminated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Literally, that's the core of and human I nature. And I can point to this ancient text that will legitimize oh, and rationalize the worst of behavior. Yeah. yeah. Who you don't know who translated and like, who knows how that whole thing happened, right? So, yeah. but uh, can I, I just wanna, so we're clear, I mean, I'm sure the listeners know a lot of this, but I just wanted to kind of elucidate what we're talking about when we're talking about misogyny and at least in Afghanistan. This is based on um, a New York Times article that just published about how safe houses are closing beginning, you know, with the Taliban coming through safe houses for women victims of domestic violence were already closing. Um, apparently 50% of Afghanis, Afghan women reported physical abuse, 17% mm -hmm. sexual violence, 60% enforced marriages, as opposed to arranged marriages. These are actually forced marriages. There's an issue of kidnapping women as a way to get back at a family as a dishonorable. There's honor killings of your own daughters or sisters or whatever, because of that same idea of, you know, I guess promiscuity or just some, even just a, a romance outside of a, a, an arrangement. Um, it, all this is harassment of women in the workplace, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. The, the Taliban were releasing prisoners that maybe had been put away for domestic violence. And right. then there was worry, concern about retribution. This is all this kind of because those prisoners have been released. Ongoing yeah. right yeah. now. And watching the, the great movie that we both watched, uh, how, to, how to Learn to Skateboard in a War Zone, If You're yeah. a Girl, great great film about Skatistan. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, cause you talked about uh, um, social jujitsu. And so some of this stuff though, predates Taliban, right? Not, not all of it. So the, the Taliban was able to rise because there was already some, some of this was already in the culture. How, how can you kind of parse that? Like for people who are unfamiliar with Afghanistan, like why is it, why is this um, an environment that is tolerant of this kind of behavior? Um, so education is a big thing. And, and uh, the combination of education and opportunity opens up the mind. Um, lack of education is fear. Um, I, I don't mean just academic education, knowledge. Uh, uh, lack thereof creates fear and lack of opportunity collapses into the lowest denominator of interpretation, especially if you're the only thing you have as, as means of interpreting something, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna get into too much of that because there will be a fatwa against me, but, but, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go with that. Or wherever the religion, it goes back to religion instead of um, some other sort of educational background. Correct? Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking about, uh, so the Taliban situation was a little unique. In the 19, 
end of 1970s, the Russians came to America and we quickly realized, uh-oh, we got the trap. They fell into the trap. The Russians went to Afghanistan. Yeah, Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Afghanistan. What, oh, no, Afghanistan, yeah. That's a different movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Afghanistan. And so during uh, President Reagan's time, they started saying, okay, what can you do to really trap these people? Create extreme version of an interpretation. So madrasas were, were created in Pakistan where the most extreme version of Islam was, was uh, or interpretation of what was, was uh, promulgated and these young men would be brought in and was, would be just raised under these conditions. And in that interpretation, it's if you die and on, for the cause, you go to heaven. And if you kill for the cause, you go to heaven. Whoa, that's a win-win. I mean, what? yeah, so, so, and then, so, Thousands and thousands were trained and that worked. In the, that, in the 70s in Pakistan. Yeah, and then in the 80s, uh, late 70s, and in the 80s, that's when the Russians were just demolished because you can't defeat a force that doesn't fear death. Right. So you had thousands of people just putting bombs on themselves and putting on, on the, on the, on the uh, tanks and tanks would blow up. Or, uh, so the Russians were defeated. But, okay, so you created this incredible force, incredibly scary force, and okay, it's done with, but some people thought that it was useful still. Uh, we're gonna leave that side aside because a lot of people found that useful. And that scary force was continued. And now we're seeing that scary force. The madrasas continued in Pakistan. They're continuing to train these young men. Still today. Today. Oh, absolutely. oh by the thousands. In fact, that's, and we see the product here in the United States and in, in Afghanistan where they're coming in and they don't know anything. Most of them are illiterate. Yeah. All they know that if I kill, I go to heaven. And if I die, I go to heaven. So the only thing between those two is war. And that's a, that's a mm. scary force. And oh, by the way, as far as edicts are concerned, one edict, pray and women should be subjugated. Hmm. Wow. And these are their leaders. You know, it's mm -hmm. not just, you're not talking about, you know, some of the soldiers. These are their leaders who think that way. If you look at some of their interviews, which are not really posted on, you know, social media or anywhere else for that matter, but there are some local journalists who speak to these leaders. And when you listen to them for a protracted amount of time where all the filters tend to go away Once and that facade that they their, put yeah, of their peacefulness, the when that goes away, you see the core, true nature of their goals. And most of them have have been raised in these madrasas. They've never been exposed to any kind of education. They've never had internet. They don't know what the world looks like or what exists in the world. They have no concept of democracy and, uh, and justice. And their whole aim is to essentially shroud women and implement Sharia law. That's it. And these are the leaders. And that's the scariest thing. I was looking at an um, interview where this man, he's I think the second second person in the leadership right now. He's, a, he's probably in his 20s. And he was talking about women's rights. He said, yo, well, we believe that women should have rights. You know, women are our mothers. They're the representation of the society. And then suddenly you could see that, you know, these, these statements, I think he kind of ran out of words that were told to him mm -hmm. to say, and they just flipped into something like, well, they have to be, you know, um, they have to be covered because that's the rule, that's the law. And I was telling Dean, um, they brought up an example. So this is the analogy that he used. He said, well, if you go to a farmer's market and you see melons, right, there's a split melon and then there's a 
whole covered melon. Would you buy the covered melon or would you buy the split melon? The split melon has a lot of germs on it and there's a lot of bugs on it. Mm. That's not sweet. That's not sweet enough for the husband. The shrouded melon is the one that you would go and buy one. Amazing. So he basically gave an example of how women should be by, by just this is you know, the giving an example highest. of melon. Uh, uh, person in, in, in the leadership. The scariest conversation I've ever heard in my mm. life. That's how they think. Yeah. yeah. Despite that, we have this, you know, U.S. occupation, and with that, you know, a creep of of kind of urban progressive uh, ways of life that starts to um, infiltrate the culture on some level, but. You know, Afghanistan historically being this nation of survivors that have defied empires for, for millennia, my sense is that most people are going to, you know, sort of behave in a manner that is, is you know, survivor expedient for them. And when you have US troops there who can say, well, I don't know how long I'm gonna be here, and but you have to pledge allegiance to us and knowing that you know next week the Taliban's going to come and place the same demands on these people people are going to do what they need to do to survive and so it's hard to get a gauge on the temperature you know if you do a temperature check on like where people's values are and what they aspire to in their own lives it seems murky in terms of trying to really understand like the culture because there is no monoculture no, right. no, no. Yeah. Uh, it's such an accurate statement in the sense that um, the expression, uh, even even the people in themselves are in such turmoil right now that not only is their language mercurial and 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 capricious and and floating and and amoebic, but even their values are that. And it's not a judgment of them. Mm-hmm. It is survival. Uh, it's a survival. I mean, none of us have experienced that. I mean, what's the worst thing I, I experienced in Redondo Beach? I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't even, <laughs> what, uh, I, yeah, sometimes the, uh, these young people drive really fast across in front of my house. I mean, <laughs> that really pisses me off. Yeah. yeah, but to know, like when I went there, the, these families said that right before you guys came during Taliban, there were rockets being fired every day and every family member had a, ma- a person that had been killed during the war. Every single family member killed. Uh, like we don't have any idea of that. So you're right. It's survival now and it's at, at, at the pace of the vacuum. And the vacuum is the thing, right? Mm. The vacuum that's left behind. So we've started this organization called Restore Her Hope. Voice. And, the, and uh, Restore Her Voice. Voice. I, I keep coming back to hope for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hoping. for hope. I'm looking for hope. Restore Her Voice. Because you said, where can we help? Where can we help? Not just in Afghanistan, because we're women's rights and justice and all that. Um, and it's going to be broader. It's not going to be us going there and saving people. My goodness, I couldn't mm-hmm. even do some push-ups, as you heard. You know, I, I'm not. A, I'm not a warrior. I'm. I'm a scientist, and this is important. What's the most effective unit of a society? And we have three men here, and well, four, and 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 one woman here. The most effective unit of productivity in a society are the women. A dollar spent in healthcare and on women is at the minimum four times more effective than anything else. Mm. And the same is true across all spectrums. And when you give women voice, where especially if they've been empowered already, that becomes the most powerful force in the society, positive force. And in United States or other places, when you take women's rights away, when you take their voices away, it becomes the nidus of the most destructive 
cycle. In fact, I think that's the beginning of a fall. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's why we thought that giving women their voices back, both Afghan or otherwise, uh, especially post-traumatic, post is, is I think the most effective thing we could do. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? What's the organization do yeah. like specifically? Our goal is to um, highlight and promote women who have lived in Afghanistan, who have been through the trauma for them to be the voice and for them to be the platform for all women living in Afghanistan and any other country. I think the stories that they tell, the the kind of perspective that they give us is invaluable because it really touches the true core of who we are as a society and as, as, as human beings. And we want to provide them not necessarily just the same platform they had, all these brave and courageous women who fled the country, the same platform here in the United States, but to help them get to the right people, the right groups, the right organizations to be able to promote this message that women's right is human's right. And they need to be at the same seat, if not at a higher seat of making decisions for for themselves and for this world. Mm -hmm. We have incredible politicians, YouTubers, artists, scientists who have been forced out of the country. And so we're trying to welcome them. We're trying to give them some stable ground and let them speak for the country. Mm. So a platform for these uh, various women of different backgrounds. Yes, Uh, Yeah. right. Like this diaspora of women. Where are some of these women who have gotten out? Where are they settling? Or are they just spread out all over the place? Like what is the, what is the kind of refugee landscape look like? They've been spread out. Yeah, it's a little chaotic right now. A lot of the the women we were talking about and we've identified a few of them are in Washington DC and some of them are uh, actually in Los Angeles and uh, area as well. What happened was a huge number of people were brought out to Qatar and other places and mm-hmm, Germany, right. and then from there to US and other places. Mm-hmm. And in US, they've, they're they kept in big spaces uh, in Washington and Dallas and other places. Uh, but the women that we we're talking about, these are, they were leaders of their fields. For example, there's a uh, woman that um, was the head of the orchestra and actually played in Kennedy Center, right? Yes. Uh, so she's in the United States. We're hoping to kind of give her the platform to to not just get to where she was before, but also speak about that. Mm-hmm. I really think the most important thing as human beings we can do is speak. Speak fearlessly, speak often, speak um, with, with errors, make mistakes, mm-hmm. but speak, 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 and speak the truth without any abatement. Nobody's telling us not to say certain things. And out of that, uh, that's a paraphenomenon of, of evolution that sped up evolution a billion times, our ability to speak fearlessly. And if these women who have the power, who have the tools, who've lived those, those experiences, I think there, there will be a, micro, a megaphone for, for the cause. Mm. And it also highlights how similar we are. Then when we speak, we realize that um, all those, those you know, artificial differences, whether it's language or the way we dress or the way we speak or we carry ourselves, it just falls. Um, you know, one of the things that we are trying to do is to make every American living here in the United States and around the world for them to feel that these women are them. They are you. They're the neighbor that you have. They're your mom. They're like your sister. They're like your daughter. They're like your friend. They're no different. And if we can can um, shorten the distance between those those differences and engage in conversations with them. I think I think we can all work towards a better yeah. world. We can be better versions of ourselves. 
Adam mentioned the uh, short documentary, Learning to Skateboard in a, in a what's it called? In a war-torn- In a war zone. In a war, in a war zone. zone. If you're a girl. If you're a girl, yeah. 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 Which I believe won the Oscar I think in so, 2019. I watched it this morning and I was literally weeping. Oh yeah. Because to watch that movie now in the context of what's transpired over the last couple of weeks, it's just, it's so yeah. heart-wrenching Absolutely. and you can't help but think where are these, young women now and what are they doing? And is there any possibility or hope for getting people out of the country at this point? I mean, we all bore witness to what transpired at the airport, um, but with the Taliban kind of stranglehold on the country at the moment, there doesn't seem to be an opportunity. Unfortunately not, no. I mm-hmm. um, We are seeing this, uh, diminishing of, of the efforts at this point and um, um, trying not to lose hope. And um, it, it's difficult not to lose mm-hmm. hope at this point, yeah. to be honest. To make it a, my field, our field, neurology. So we're a big signal detecting device, right? Our brain. We, we, don't, we don't get out of our comfort unless something happens that gets out, out of comfort, right? So, and, and for millions of years, that was because we had to distinguish between a bush and a lion. Um, now it's a little more complex, human behavior, social aspects. I think these opportunities, and, and I don't want to make it sound, uh, diminish what we just talked about, 16 million people dying basically. Um, and we should address that. I think this is an opportunity for us to have more complex conversations about humanity in general, women and women's rights, and what we, what we consider success. Uh, again, we repeat, what we did in Afghanistan, incidentally, maybe, as a paraphenomenon, maybe, it doesn't matter. The consequence was the most successful thing we've ever done. If we consider success, the degree of change or Delta, as they say in science, you know, the Delta of it, the Delta was just absolutely bewildering. And if that's not success, then your value system is based on an antiquated system. You better reassess your values, even though you're wearing the nice clothes and the tie and everything, you're in the wrong place psychologically. We did succeed. And then we failed it because we didn't know that this was success. And why didn't we know that? And it's not about Afghanistan. We are, in, we believe in throughout the world. I mean, we, we've traveled 50 countries or more. And, and, that, and I think if we reframe the situation to speak about that, that our success is just this, women's rights, which will create connectivity and women's leadership, feminine leadership, which is more about, you know, we talk about leadership and my backgrounds, leadership is all feminine. Mm. The part that's masculine, which is the muscle, it's just a couple mm. of people, but it's feminine and it's, it's about conversation, communication, connecting. And if we increase that, that quanta the, 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 uh, and, and the world, the world will be a better place. If we reframe our successes around that concept, we will be a better society. We will not let that, that destructive seed regrow in our own country and it will regrow in our own country. Mm-hmm. Well, we're seeing aspects of that now. I let you do that. What's going on <laughs> in Texas at the moment. But yeah, I mean, it's I think crazy. I think that uh, it's, a very, it's a very good point in that we don't identify the successes in Afghanistan because that is not our priority. We define success by whether or not we could create a thriving democracy and a stable police force and military that could protect the border and instill democratic values across the country. We failed at that. There's this other huge success here, 
but because of our sort of cultural priorities, we don't consider that a success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. you you brought it back to nationalism. I mean, America has had you know nationalism is I mean like Pledge of Allegiance, the mm-hmm. the Star Spangled Banner, and for the ball games, the American flags you see everywhere. I'm not denigrating any of that. It's just Mm-mm. a part of the culture. So when that's a part of the culture and then you see servicemen dying over there and it seems far away and it, like what you're suggesting is a complete paradigm shift in global culture, which is worth aspiring to, but it's just not, unfortunately, it's just not the majority of the people thinking that way. Do yeah. we, we should think that way. We should, but, but globalism has gotten a bad name because it's it's always thought in economic terms. Yeah, this also is benefit economically mm-hmm. when you can lift, like you said, and lift the women up economically. It it lifts the entire country up economically. Mm-hmm. Um, but just I think that not to say it shouldn't happen. It's just probably the explanation for yeah. why it's not happening. Yeah. There's a concept of American imperative, which was there's a little bit of a scary side of it in the in the 1800s and you know like almost like as if it was meant that we should conquer and all that right. but let's flip that this jujitsu let's do the little jujitsu there what if the american imperative is a new kind of empire that prospers that grows but also changes societies for the we keep using the word democracy as if it's a thing uh, uh, there are different ways of that democracy. And in fact, in Afghanistan was pretty, con- we had more women at one point in the parliament in Afghanistan than we did in US uh, par- yeah. uh, Congress. At, because by law, it was, <laughs> it, was, it was in the doctrine that they had to have 33% or one third women. So they were there, they were active, they were, they were outspoken. Mm-hmm. I actually have seen one of the women actually turn to a very, very powerful warlord and shut him down. Mm. So uh, that's that's that that was a great success. So not to kind of get too much into that, but um, the success um, um, that we had in Afghanistan is, I think, um, should be addressed. And, and I think one of the first places that we we've seen is here. We're doing it uh, because I think it's a good, great learning for all of us as as a society, as a nation, as a great nation, as a new empire, if you don't like the word empire, a great nation, large nation, you know, who, who can do great things, but at the human level, you know, um, and, and it was done, it was done mm-hmm. and it was lost. Yeah. Yeah, we don't seem to value that kind of um, soft analysis though. You know, it's, yeah. it's really those kind of tactile benchmarks that we're judging our progress yeah. by. And in the meantime, you know, I think we've lost our our footing as uh, you know a nation that was known to kind of take the moral high ground mm. in situations like this. But I'm interested in you know you guys are neurologists and you think a lot about the brain. How do we like help us understand like the mind of the Taliban? Like what is going on neurologically with such an individual that they hold? a worldview that they do and conduct themselves in a manner that seems so um, retrograde and foreign to Westerners. I'm gonna take it and then you'll take it sure. from there. Um, um, we sorry. could talk for days about this. Yeah. yeah, it's actually easier than people think. If anybody has a teenage son who um, has sex, well, that's a redundant sexual urges, that teenage son, that's, actually, that's, yeah, that's a redundant thing. Uh, but so uh, it's a teenage son that doesn't know much, not very educated. And the, its entire world purview is condensed to one little set of values that it's learned repeatedly over and over again. 
And, and then it's told uh, that it should actually control all urges. That's the Taliban. That's it. I mean, the core neurology of that is base human uh, uh, instincts that are, and, and, and a set of edicts to control those base human uh, well, in the, in the effort to control those urges and instincts, there's gonna be some errant sideways behavior. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the women are the scariest thing to them, right? I mean, um, uh, the, the women are the things that, that, I mean, I remember going to Afghanistan um, and, and talking to uh, the, uh, these, some of these um, you know, back uh, Taliban. And, and um, it would be interesting that every other conversation would be about some edict around women's issues because it's the emotion that disturbed them the most. So that's emotion that must be subdued the most. Um, that, that's very simple. Human, uh, humanity is less complex than we, we think we are. Mm. Um, it, it starts with those core parasympathetic and parasympathetic systems that goes to the limbic emotional brain that interprets things in the most survival-based way, which means more control, more control. Eliminate any possibility of danger by reducing the, the, the number of variables. And that's basically the human, human nature when it's, not, uh, when it's not allowed to flourish. And everything starts from a fear stance. So everything is based on fear. Fear of the other, fear of the different, fear of something that will take away things from you. I think people start becoming more nuanced when the fear goes away. Yes, that could be a luxury, you know, if you're secure, if you're not hungry, if you're not under attack, you probably don't have enough fear and you can explore things. But if you exist in a fearful environment, which they have, they've been told as children that someone will kill you, someone will attack you. The other person who doesn't look like you mm. is different. So you have to stay away from that. And the fear of women, the fear of your urges, your base urges, everything is based on that. And that's why sticking to a set of rules and regulations and coming to back to that over and over again is a reflex. And, and that, that, that fear is solidified over many, many years so much that it's impossible for, for anything outside to be introduced. That's why I think it's, it's um, um, some people say that, you know, they may be open to conversations or they may be open to change. They won't. There's, there's mm -hmm. no hope for that. This um, comes down. I mean, it's not like there are parallels to the United States. Like the, like if you're not able to have a sexual release, there will be violence. You know, if you can't mm -hmm. get laid, you mm -hmm. will kill. And we have incel, you know, in involuntary celibate men mm -hmm. here who bring the guns and, and, and shoot people at schools or in, uh, on the streets. Mm -hmm. I mean, that happens here. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in Texas, we have a, a set of laws that are making it harder to vote and harder and women and are controlling women's bodies without their consent. That's happening here. It's like the, those dominoes are here. Yeah. So th that's an extreme case of something that is, I guess, universal, but it's happening here probably more than a lot of places as well. So I, I find that interesting. I think there's also an economic uh, element to this, right? I mean, it's not, it's, sure. I was just doing some research and looking at the at ISIS-K and how that started in Afghanistan in 2015, and they were paying people $700 a month to come join ISIS. 
and that's a lot of money. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's not that dissimilar to stuff I've seen in cartel countries mm -hmm. in Nicaragua and Mexico, where all of a sudden ISIS, like these cartels, are paying for the healthcare. Yeah, they make sure the that the payroll and, is met, whereas the American forces, you know, it's right. the checks are bouncing, and you know, you couldn't count on that. Yeah, and then I assume the Taliban are paying for fighters too, so there sure. is an economic oh, yeah. element of yeah. it, right? Yeah. yeah, and so so it's not it's there there is that like people are are going to where the paycheck is. There's um, two elements yeah, to that. You're yeah. absolutely right. There's so again, uh, there, there's a there's a measure of support for these people, right? Yeah. Where's that coming from? Uh, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the measure of support is coming from it's a carrot and stick kind of thing. The 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 element that they were there's a huge percentage of population that were not happy with the government as it was because there was corruption, mm. and 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 corruption came in Afghanistan because a country that was hungry had nothing. All of a sudden. You brought, you brought in warlords to run the government. And I know that's a controversial, but it is true. I mean, they know, they don't know themselves. And some of them were good, some of them were not, but there was a lot of corruption. I mean, we're talking in the billions. We know that the Central Bank of Afghanistan, $900 million was just usurped and taken away. And they found who it was. They didn't do anything about it because the, the president's brother was involved in it. So, mm -hmm. so they didn't do anything. Right. And then the commanders were involved in it. So they didn't do anything. So what people were getting frustrated, their life is not getting better, but certain um, uh, you know, other people in the community or, or society are getting, uh, so a lot of frustration with corruption. That's one element. So my life is not gonna change too much. Yeah, for the men especially, you know, for the men, life is not gonna change too much. If I was poor, I'm gonna be poor. Now you have a force that's dark, it's not gonna affect me, maybe my wife, maybe that's good for me, you know, and my, my, my daughter, but at, at least they're going to control corruption and they did. The other element is money that's coming from the Taliban is from outside countries and from poppy, you know, number one source of right. opium and, and, right. and all that's Afghanistan. They have that system better regulated than the government had their systems regulated. Right. And like you said, People were getting paid on time mm -hmm. as opposed to uh, the government. So, so both of those issues are economic. You're absolutely right. At the end, ec economy has a big, big factor. The answer to all your questions is money, right? Like the, that's, the, that's the, that's in a way, yeah, yeah. 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 Money and education, yeah. money and uh, hoping that education gets people's fears away. Um, but but uh, that's not always guaranteed. But there's also this asymmetry when you have religious fundamentalists, zealots who who are are fighting a religious war versus you know Western troops who are there because they've been deployed there and are trying to win hearts and minds in a situation that you know is at best an extremely uphill battle. So you know it's lined up for a loss right out of the gate. It seems yeah. like it was from the beginning. Like it, like it, the thing to do would have been to chase the Taliban into Pakistan. And they just couldn't do it because yeah. of like borders mm -hmm. and politics sure. and they, or they just were unwilling to do it until Obama finally said, we're gonna get Osama bin Laden. But like that allowed a safe haven, right? For them to kind of yeah. regain and get financing. And then there's also Iran has what, for, for according to this frontline report I saw today, five to 10,000 people in Afghanistan are aligned with Iran and, and this quest to maybe create a Hezbollah type situation if the Taliban fails quickly. Oh, I mean, this so is, yeah. like we're looking at a possible civil war. Not here, a right? possible, it's going to happen and it's going to, it's going to get radical because when you create a vacuum and there are elements of vacuum where different crystals can manifest, they will manifest. They will manifest and there will be radical manifestation because of anger, lack of economy and lack of education. It will be, so, 
and I think people in power know this. Um, well, not to make it too political, throughout history, Afghanistan's instability has been used as a weapon for the neighbor's stability. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, that, that's going to happen. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. Meanwhile, all of these women, accomplished women, are redonning the burkas, ensconcing themselves in their homes, not going outdoors. Uh, it's it's going to be terrible. It's a return to a Stone Age existence. Yeah, Complete it stone. already has. Yeah. It already has, and that is the 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 saddest thing that we're seeing right now. And and I tell you, I don't see them being defeated back any, uh, at this point because of the partnerships of the neighbors. Like China already moved in with some deals, I think, because of Afghanistan has a lot of resources. Uh, they say up to $3 trillion in minerals, not just lithium, but mm-hmm. across the board, even uranium and everything else. So China is moving in, Pakistan, Iran, and then our, our calmest neighbor right now, that's the calmest neighbor, right. Russia. Imagine, right. imagine yeah. that's your calmest neighbor. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your calmest neighbor, na- neighbor is Putin. Putin, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's just taking wow. it easy right now. Yeah. Can, can I, Rich? Can I shout out some of these names that we had yeah. uh, bolded here? Some women, accomplished women. Just yeah. like uh, maybe I'll just read them off and some of their accomplishments, and you guys have some thoughts about right. about them. That'd be good. Um, Shukriya. Barak Zai. Yes. Um, she was mentioned in this great article that you sent over that Lindsay Adario wrote, who's, curr- who's currently shooting wildfires yeah. in Tahoe. Yes. Um, incredible photojournalist, as we all know. Um, she went from getting beaten in the street by the Taliban during the 90s to once, once uh, the Taliban were gone. Um, helping to draft the constitution and serve two terms in parliament. I worked her? with her. Yeah. I was, I was, I knew her. I, I actually was, uh, uh, yeah, in many conversations with her. Amazing human being, mm-hmm. uh, just, just powerhouse of a human being. Yeah, is uh, she still there? She is. Yeah, yeah. Fazia Kufi. As far as I know. Yeah. yeah, Fazia uh, Kufi. Fazia Kufi, Porter Live in the Country since the Taliban came to power in 96. She started a network of secret girls' schools in the 90s in her home province called Badakhshan. Is that yes. right? Yes. 
um, and member of parliament from 2005 to 2019, and was one of the people representing Afghanistan, the Republic, in peace negotiations with the Taliban, and is now finds herself out of the country mm-hmm. and kind of trying to figure out what's next, correct? Yeah. Powerful woman, outspoken. She still is. She actually is one of the um, most outspoken Afghan women on Twitter. Um, And she recently, she didn't want to get out. She actually promised that she was going to stay back and fight. But when they threatened her, because these Taliban go from home to home looking for these strong, you know, powerful women who were part of the government. And so she had to flee with two daughters in Qatar. But she Mm -hmm. vows to be... um, connected and uh, as loud as she can. Yeah, her daughters were, got out in advance of, of her, right? Yeah, yes. yeah. Mabuba Siraj, who yeah. I hadn't heard of, who is like- One of I, our favorite people. I, I saw her <laughs> in the, on the CNN, yeah. I think, was it CNN? Some, uh, some clip and it was, um, she's from the Afghan Women's Network. She's staying. Yeah. She says, I'm going outside, <laughs> no matter what. Um, and is hoping to work together, right? With the, t- I mean, she's saying that in, in yeah. good faith, hoping to try to figure out a way to run the country in a, posi- in a positive direction. Yeah. She's yeah, always yeah. been an ultimate optimist. <clears throat> yeah. And she, uh, an outspoken woman. Um, absolutely love her. I hope she's safe. And Pashtana Durrani, a young woman, she's 23 yeah. years old, executive director of an organization called Learn. She's in hiding right now, yeah. trying to organize uh, girls' schools on the digital platform. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, Pashtana is a great example of what happens when there's opportunity. She's in her 20s. So she is the, the latest generation of Afghan women who had the opportunity to educate herself and help others. And she's done a phenomenal job, um, but she's in grave danger because they've, they've threatened her. Mm. She's created multiple schools. She actually has a very strong um, social media presence um, and she's actively speaking against the Taliban right now. What is the social media situation in, in Afghanistan? I mean, do they have Twitter and people tweet and like what happens with, you know, somebody who says the wrong thing? It, 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 it's ending. I mean, there were, there were YouTubers who have, you know, completely stopped posting their videos. There were, um, you know, there, there's this one, a very popular show, um, a bowling show of a, of a, <laughs> a, a young lady who is now in the United States. Um, she used to invite politicians and people in the position of power to come bowl. And during that bowling session, she would actually challenge their politics and their <laughs> That's preconceived That's a great idea. <laughs> what a great, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, That's a great yeah. YouTube show. It's like hot ones. Yeah. yeah. So um, uh, then there's this guy, uh, Rustam Wahab on Instagram, Wahab, yes. who's been doing some really interesting reporting young guy. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that we're hearing from the Taliban is like, oh yes, we're going to ensure, you know, an open media ecosystem. But he shared uh, a video clip of like a television news host with two, yeah. he's like in a, he's yeah. in a tie and he's reporting the news and there's two Taliban standing behind yeah. him yeah. With, their, with their rifles. That was supposed to be a debate, by the way. Right. Yeah, yeah that's a, gonna be a great debate, debate with yeah. two yeah. Kalashnikovs yeah. behind him. I like yeah. that, that's, that's the old world debate. <laughs> that's yeah. right. What do you think about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever you think, yeah. 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 So, Rosam is only nineteen. You know, he's one he's of the youngest. Young uh, and where where does activist. he? Live? He's British. I believe he's Afghani. in the UK. Yes, yeah. Yeah. he just um, and he's been posting clips that are filmed by individuals and journalists mm-hmm. in Afghanistan. So things that are not really posted out in mm-hmm. the media that mm-hmm. often. I am in love with this young woman. Shamsia Hassani, mm-hmm. the first off Afghan female graffiti street artist. Yeah. Her Instagram yeah. is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The stuff that she's doing. And she's, she's still amazing. there, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But she's yeah, kind of she gone is. underground, it appears. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah a lot of them have. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have. Um, we have um, put together a list of of articles and a list of these Instagram accounts, and in addition, um, documentaries like the one we mentioned before, and plenty of other books and resources that we'll put in the show notes for people that want to dive deeper into everything that we've been talking about today. There's there was like the Tom Morello story that you liked, right? Oh yeah, the, I like that one. Guitarist with Rage Against the Machine was uh, was promoting the this guitar school. Um, that was also kind of like skate a stand, but but with with music, mm-hmm. uh, a place for girls to get educated mm-hmm. as well as learn guitar, mm-hmm. and like uh, a, a rock producer had kind of relocated to Kabul and yeah. started to teach guitar, just one girl at a time, and it created this whole thing. And um, you know, before I just wanted to ask one last question because we kind of skated over this, and you had said it at the opening, Isha, that like, and I've spent time on. Mesot Thailand and a lot of time in Burma. Yeah. And, and so I understand the idea, you know, where I haven't been in an active war zone quite like that, but mm-hmm. there were still, you know, it displaced people and minefields and that kind of stuff, not too far away. And I spent some time in there, but what was interesting was that two, two parallels. One is medics training villagers as medics was mm-hmm. a key towards development. Um, and the other thing was this, I, you know, this landscape of international people coming from all over the world aid money um, and a network of people all there for a purpose and that's to help people mm-hmm. and then romance. And you guys met in that kind of scenario. <laughs> yeah. What was it like in those heady days in those early, you know, 2002, 2003, 2004, <laughs> you know, like where it's like, who's there? Like, who, what's, yeah. what's, like, where are you going out to dinner? Like all that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh gosh. It was the, I, I'll give my yeah. version. Then you can give your version. <laughs> okay. My version is better. No, no, no. Uh, so, as I said, we both came from, you know, completely different environments, America, modern, yeah. uh, you know, I was uh, doing- But you have at, this great rich family history with Afghanistan. We do. Uh, I mean, yeah. my, my, my grandfather was the, uh, the reform king that was actually thrown out in the 1920s. His secretary of education was my grandfather. So uh, even our pride and joy is the fact that he was the secretary of education that brought women's reform, that brought education into the country. And my grandfather was uh, friends with her grandfather who yeah. came back oh, to United States. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're very good friends. It's like they, a movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, they came yeah. back to United States. He came back to United States, went to Johns Hopkins, uh, sorry, Columbia University, medical school surgery, and then went to Hopkins to become public health expert, went back to Afghanistan and created the, sorry, I'm not gonna, uh, no, no. Uh, uh, parliament. Um, he wrote the, the first constitution. Yeah brilliant, brilliant man. And then my grandfather, same thing. And of course, when you do good things there, my grandfather was kicked out early. So his sons came to United States in the fifties. They're doctors here, surgeons. We stayed, my parents stayed. And in the 1970s, uh, the communists came and immediately we, everybody ran to, to, mm-hmm. to America and we were not very smart. We went to Pittsburgh, but, but no, no offense to Pittsburgh. We love, <laughs> I love Pittsburgh, it's my home. But we grew up there and, and, but when was involved in the community, not as much as I thought, but, but public health, yes. I was asked to go back to Afghanistan to help reconstruct. And at the time I was, I was at NIH, they said just three months hiatus, went back, became three years. But in the first year in a party, expat party, mm. expats are these internationals that come together and the party's there because you're in a war zone. It's a horrible situation. 
all, everything is abated, you know, alcohol, everything, everybody's just drinking. And, and I'm sitting talking to some people and she pulls a chair next to me. That's my version. She, and she sits next to me and we start talking. And the first conversation is about our grandparents. Yeah. And they both had Alzheimer's and oh. they both died of Alzheimer's and dementia. The crazy. The and, and then yeah. we, we start talking and talking. And then we, I, I, because I was at the time the deputy minister, I had this white car, this with driver and security. I, I offered to drive them to their hotel and I drive her to her hotel with her mom. And then we'd lose each other. Yeah. And I chased them. That's a whole thing. I, I found her and then we dated in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. With yeah. our bodyguard, this is, I gotta say this part. Oh, that is. A the Ministry of Interior story. had given us a bodyguard because I was threatening people by just my beliefs. And the bodyguard was wet, fully dressed, 80 pounds, 90 pounds at most. <laughs> and he had this line. At most. And you know how soldiers have these bullets here? Uh -huh. He had a line of uh, marijuana or hashish uh, yeah. uh, roll ups here, right there. I'm like, you're a police officer, you're a, you're a cop. But he, he actually was a teacher. He was a teacher, he we was called a teacher him the teacher. from Badakhshan. And yeah. you know, yeah. we used to call him Malam Seb, which means, you know, dear teacher. And he was forced to work in, in the army as a bodyguard because he couldn't make enough money. So, you know, he was our chaperone. And when mm. we would go to hotels or to restaurants, you know, to, to, to have dinner, he would actually follow us. Well, and he, he would, would fall asleep all the because time. Because Jackie's a scuba dude. Yeah, yeah you're he was high all the time. Bodyguard <laughs> with bodyguard. the kind. Kush. There were times when Dean had to carry the Klashnikov. Carry the Klashnikov. Like, the minister of well, yeah, Let's go. It's, it's time to go home. And he would wake up and you know, just. So that's how we a, met. Although well, he was he was a beautiful poet. Too. Oh, here's he the thing. He was a poem. Mm. I don't know how you guys, as neurologists, feel about free will, whether humans have free will or don't have free will. But this all feels very predestined to me, it like does. the work that you're doing uh, now everything, and everything that you've yeah. done. Yeah. It is, it, yeah. it is when you look back yeah. through the generations of your your family histories. I consider myself very lucky, and I think the, there's a lot of work to do. Um, you know, us being neurologists and talking about plaques and tangles and Alzheimer's disease and being involved in all the science and you know putting a halt to that, not necessarily a halt, but you know refocusing on what is making us strong as human beings. <laughs> that's one of the reasons, and I think that's a continuation of the stories of our grandfathers and all these amazing human beings, especially women that we met in Afghanistan. The work we do even now, it's, it's not the, and, you know, the esoteric clinical trials and stuff. We are, I think, the only neurologists that work in the community. That's right. We, we lead one of the largest brain health initiatives in the, in the world. With a focus on us. women. We're, we're centered on women. So mm. meaning that we, we actually take the women in the community, we train them because we know that they're going to have the most impact. And coming back to that, and they're the most successful by far. Right. Mm -hmm. um, as far as destiny, um, well, it depends on the searching mind, doesn't it? If, if you're searching, you meet your destiny. If you're not searching, you meet your destiny. Mm. Yeah. You dodged the free will question with that though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I'm, I'm a little bit of on, on uh, yeah. uh, uh, Harris's school of uh, yeah. uh, free will, yeah. Uh, can, can I ask a question about yeah. the, the neurology? Is, um, cause you talked about the resiliency of so many of these women and uh, especially the women who are, are given freedom and, and look what they can do. Yeah. I wonder as neurologists, if you saw also some of the fallout on the other side where um, this kind of being forced to shroud, stay inside, does that contribute to early on stage, uh, um, early onset dementia? Do, do you see some of these uh, neurological issues that present 
earlier, maybe if if the, through this environment, or does the survivor in you kind of like take take precedence and and eliminate that? That's a good question. I don't think we have hard data on that. The one thing that is quite evident is this prevalence, massive prevalence of anxiety. And, and, and depression. And it, it's not the typical anxiety and depression because, um, you know, sometimes when you're in survivor mode, you don't really have the time to, to show the manifestation of depression. So, you know, when you're always wondering what your children are going to eat the next day, and when you're always wondering whether you're going to have a shelter tomorrow or not, or whether your loved one is going to be around your dinner table or not, there's no time for you to sit back and, you know, feel bad. There's this massive amount of anxiety that people live with. Yes, there are a lot of deaths because of cardiovascular disease and other manifestations of stress and anxiety. I don't think anybody has actually done work to look at, you know, the neurological manifestations of that. And especially in the last 20 years with, you know, early deaths and, you know, um, people dying of easily preventable um, diseases, they probably don't even get to that point where the neurodegeneration uh, aspect actually starts kicking in. Mm -hmm. Just as a continuation of that, I mean, that's a beautiful answer. So I, I shouldn't, but, but I'll just give it a little bit. So the human brain, I mean, we're here outside of the intangible answers that why we're here. The tangible is we're here because of the, I mean, as much valued as we have for, it's our brain, right? Especially our feeling brain. You know, Descartes said, I cogito ergo sum, I think therefore I am. I say, insusio ergo sum, I feel therefore I am. As much as we can feel, as much, that's why the animal thing, that's why, you know, if you don't distill the, the cause to the base value, which is ability to feel, it's meaningless. Mm. So as far as feeling is concerned, that's the brain. The brain is here to feel. But at the same time, it's also here to explore. Feel fully, and there are levels of it, and explore fully. When the brain is not, and this, we don't have data in Afghanistan, but outside of Afghanistan, when a brain is not exploring, it shrinks. The moment the brain stops exploring, and I'll, exploring could be anything, thinking, reading, playing music, um, you know, all of this stuff, except for playing Sudoku, which I hate. But, but uh, <laughs> all these manifestations of creativity of the mind being coming to the fore. And if it's not doing that, it shrinks. It has more consequence than eating bad. And I'm a nutritionist. I have a master's in nutrition. Mm -hmm. She has a master's. Inability to let the brain be creative destroys the brain. And we have entire 50% of the general population shrouding, not being able to think. You're killing them. Yeah, so, and, and that's true in America. It's true everywhere. Mm -hmm. So as far as why we're here is to let people's creativity roam. Let it flourish. Don't be scared. We have latitude. Um, I hope that this conversation is not, people recognize, not for Amer Afghanistan only, America. We have to be fearless in our, uh, 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 and uh, out of the creativity of each individual's will to manifest their full potential. Let's not stop shrouding it. Mm. Yeah, and I think the solutions to these problems, be they in America, Afghanistan, or elsewhere, certainly there are, you know, other conflict zones across the world and genocides and plenty of problems. But finding our way forward begins with with empathy, and empathy is about understanding and I appreciate you guys coming here today to help us understand better so that we can breed the empathy that's required to manifest the solutions. But before we kind of end this, 
Um, I do wanna spend a few moments just talking about the solution. You've got this organization, Restore Her Voice. I know there's a GoFundMe component to that. So if people are listening or watching and they feel the urge or the call to contribute in a meaningful way, like what is the best outlet for time and resources? Well, I'm grateful to you for allowing us to use your platform to spread this message. I think um, if one of the best things that um, people can help with is to be the voice of these women who have been silenced by the dark, antiquated and ignorant forces in Afghanistan. And for us to help rebuild the same kind of situation that they had in the past 20 years for them to speak up. I think these women coming from Afghanistan to the United States are the best representatives of the harsh environment there and of the beautiful potential that women have there. And so if they want to help us, we would be grateful to them. Um, We've already raised a whole lot you know, with the help of these kind, amazing individuals, more than $100,000 over the last couple of weeks. And we're going to use all of these resources to help these women establish themselves and reach their potential and be a representation Mm -hmm. of the women in Afghanistan. And people can go to the website, restore, what is it? Restore Her Voice? Restoreherhervoice.org. That's Mm -hmm. the the website. And we're on social media as well, Restore Her Voice. What say you, Adam Skolnick? I'm just uh, grateful to be a part of this conversation and to uh, met you both and uh, and to you, Rich, for scheduling it so I could be here. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it's just, you know, this is the kind of stuff that makes you want to be a journalist and be a writer is to, is to explore these stories and try to contribute in some small way to, you know, to a, a, a huge problem. And uh, so I appreciate being a part of it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I think that uh, we mentioned we mentioned Skatistan earlier, but yeah. we didn't really explain it. So if if these issues are brand new to you, listener, viewer, um, maybe start with that documentary because it, it, it's a really beautiful portrait of an effort at at a grassroots level to empower young girls in a very heartwarming way by creating this school that is kind of behind tall walls and and hidden um, wherein they teach kids, young girls how to skateboard and they've Mm. got a skate ramp, but they use it also as a platform for empowerment by teaching them like the soft skills so that they can value themselves. And it's, it's really, quite beautiful. It's like 40 minutes long or something like that. It's a beautiful, beautiful documentary. And then I found a, a you know, electric literature is a good website um, in, for, in the literary world. And uh, Nadia Hashimi, a writer who's in the Afghan diaspora, she put together a list of uh, books by or about Afghan women. So I think you're going to link to that as well. Correct. Oh, right. Eight books by and about Afghan women. Right. So we'll put that on the on the in the show notes. Amazing. Yeah. Cool. So people can kind of get into into that and uh, like some of these do, like that documentary of of the 1950s in Afghanistan and to see how it was trending and where it is now is just it just shows you um, how fragile it really is. Yeah. 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 Uh, that, that's exactly right. I mean, it was so progressive. It was, had developed so much that nobody would have envisioned that it would collapse. Not only did it collapse, it collapsed twice. Mm. Um, um, progress is fragile. 
And I think it's an important reminder that we not take for granted our liberties and our freedoms and to be more vigilant about, you know, what is right and correct and fair and equitable. But also like not to have such hard, like I think when you get to a point where there's such hard, like hard polarization and, and hard boundaries between left and right or up, you know, whatever it is, red and blue, you actually are contributing to a potential of a fall. Mm-hmm. Whereas if there's much, much more free flow of ideas and receptivity, I think, you know, you, you have a better chance. If there's hard walls and obstacles between, you know, and for that, that's gonna impede intellectual growth, I yeah. think. And but so, that's what we're seeing right state, now, yeah. you know, in the United States, uh, you know, a calcification of ideologies that's making conversation and communication more and more difficult. And that is exacerbating the polarization. And I think the problems that, you know, we're contending with right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the result is something like in Texas that should have been nipped in the bud with better organizing and communication, right? Like you think, right? So Mm -hmm. that, yeah. Thank you guys. Thank Thank you you so so much. much. How do you feel? Feel good? Feels amazing. Did we do it? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. We love you for (laughs) the fact that uh, you're you're doing, this is not fulsome flattery. I'm I'm an honorary guy. You're doing the most important thing, having the courageous conversations. Trying to do it. Trying to do it. It is and these true. guys have this idea, like this this concept of the tw- last twenty years in Afghanistan, that just completely flips it on its head, and just like it's like it seems so obvious after reading that email. Yeah. Wow, mm-hmm. this was a, a, a success, but before that, it didn't, wasn't even in my mind. Yeah, and um, and so I think it's brilliant. I mean, that's like to have this this kind of counterintuitive notion put out there. I think is, is super important. I think we should all take pride in that, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, that's not the narrative that you see every day. So thank mm-hmm. you for for this opportunity to actually talk about that. Thank you. And thank you for the wonderful gift, this book, this Steve McCurry book, which is quite a work of art. It really is. It 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 really is, of course. It will hold a proud spot here in the studio. So thanks. And you guys are welcome here anytime. Thank you, Rich. Thank you so much. Always so kind. Thank you. It was so nice nice meeting you. Absolutely. Thank you. Namaste. (laughs) That was your cue, Adam.